0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Global Data Pod. I'm Catherine Marnie from the J.P. Morgan EM Economics team, and I'm joined today by Nikolai Alexandru, also from EM Economics. Together we put together the weekly EM Edge publication, which are loosely a set of 30 countries covered outside our flagship GDW publication. Many of them are frontiers uh, from across the continents, but we have a very diverse set of economies from small small African countries to the large oil exporters, and everywhere in between. So, Nikolai, it's, it's good to have you back. Uh, last time we spoke, markets were rallying following a dovish pivot from the Fed, which spurred out a rally in EM, uh, including for many frontiers. The holidays are now past us, and markets are taking time to kind of digest the most recent data flow. So even though the probabilities of a march cut have been scaled back from where they were when we wrote our last edge of the year, uh, they still haven't been erased. Optimism around this soft landing scenario still persists, uh, which should be constructive overall for frontiers. As we as we said on the last edition of the global data pod, you know, easing global financial conditions on a weaker dollar should enable frontier economies to breathe more you know, easily, given less FX weakness, which will also help with. This inflation help you know the central banks uh, as well as, as they try to tackle their own domestic challenges. In addition, frontiers might also benefit from easier, cheaper access to external funding, more inflows potentially, which should help alleviate some of the funding concerns that we that are so prevalent in our in our set of countries. But even you know, it's interesting. I think is that you know, even though you've had this sort of change in in the market narrative over the last few months overall the story that we're telling for many of these frontiers hasn't changed that much. Um, and of course that some of that could just be the uncertainty of the fed timing I mean we're still we're still debating this at a global level and you know JP Morgan's own house call was for a cut in June but it also probably talks to the magnitude of the challenges in many of these frontiers that you know the the work is still not done and, and more needs to be done. Thinking first about the inflation outlook in our in these economies, and sort of thinking about how they you know they balance the sort of monetary policy side of things against this easing in global financial conditions. You know, we we had December inflation come out, and again overall, I think things looked things looked pretty pretty good in LATAM. I mean, we have you know LATAM has had a large fall in inflation since the since the middle of last year. Uh, things are starting to normalize uh, to pre-COVID levels in Latam, some extent in Europe, and then also in Asia. Um, so we have you know, very limited disinflation this year. Overall, in Latam, things look to be accelerating a bit. For example, in Domrep and Uruguay, and we have some upward drift um, to inflation through year end. But again, I think you know, overall for Latam, we seem we're still pretty calm about. The inflation trajectory, which should allow central banks to ease, uh, we think. Uh, I don't know in terms of you know Africa and, and Europe. I mean, we 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 we've been flagging that we, on the other hand, that that we are more concerned about inflation dynamics in those two in those two regions. Uh, maybe you can talk to that.
1: Uh, sure. Uh, hello, everyone, and good to be back, uh, Katie. The last month of uh, 2023 gave at least uh, gave me some foot for thought on the inflation outlook. Um, why? Because um, in over a year ago uh, terms, uh, we are seeing more or less um, uh, a stalling in, in disinflation for most regions except uh, Africa. Uh, and that's a bit uh, on the surprising side. But as you said, uh, LATAM has very low rates of inflation, right? So in in LATAM's case, it's a bit of um, a different uh, uh, dynamics. Um, And the other aspect, which uh, is uh, a bit, um, uh, let's say on the concerning side is the fact that uh, looking at uh, seasonally adjusted uh, data, momentum uh, has picked up um, across um, uh, Asia, Europe and uh, LATAM. Uh, with Africa again being the exception. So because the momentum in Africa is below the uh, over-year-ago uh, uh, rates, then basically we are seeing a decline in uh, over-year-ago uh, rates. So that's kind of like when I look at the inflation picture, that's that's kind of what I see. Then I think it's worth highlighting another aspect that a, a big chunk of this acceleration in momentum uh, in the parts of the edge that I mentioned is coming uh, on the back of food. Uh, So food was rather strong. It's not necessarily on the core side. I mean, there are some exceptions uh, on the core side, but not necessarily on the core side. And um, uh, probably it's worth highlighting that uh, this uh, acceleration in food goes against um, what we're seeing at the global level. So it's not necessarily clear that this is going to have uh, many legs going forward. So uh, because of that, I think Uh, We can uh, maintain a relatively uh, constructive view and central banks, as you said, uh, will be able to ease. Africa, even though they are seeing disinflation, they are seeing that disinflation from very high rates of inflation. Also, various fragilities remain in place. Uh, External position remains uh, in many uh, countries uh, still a problem. And because of that, there is pressure on the currency to weaken. So central banks in Africa, uh, at least in our forecast, they are unlikely to cut rates anytime soon. And we've seen cases like, for example, uh, Kenya actually hiking uh, quite quite strongly uh, in order to uh, stave off uh, some of these um, uh, currency problems. So that's, that's how I look at it, Katie.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, it's interesting because if we kind of take a step back from the debate we've been having at a global level and in, in our global team, and then also for emerging markets more broadly, you know, the the argument is could be that the the global backdrop should give central banks space to ease more or more quickly. But in fact, in the edge space, I mean, yes, that 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 some for some that is true, but in general, inflation remains top of mind for many of our central banks. Um, and as you said, part of that is just that inflation is still high momentum is still high and it still exceeds um you know comfort zones for central banks or pre-covid trends whatever whatever metric you want to use and so it's not necessarily the case that uh, with this easing in financial conditions our central banks are going to be moving again more aggressively than than what we have and i mean I can think about, for example, Dom Rep, which surprisingly stayed on hold um in December, which is again, which is interesting just because inflation is we're comfortable with the inflation story there. We've obviously had this easing in financial conditions. It's a relatively solid story. Um, but the central bank there has been sort of, you know, doing these stop-start cuts and and apparently, you know, felt that um in December, uh potentially it was the currency, but they you know, they they didn't. Just, I think the currency played the significant the
1: role. Yeah, there. Yes, I, yeah. I I agree with that. Yes.
0: Exactly, and so they didn't necessarily take advantage of this this opening that this rally in markets gave them. So, um, I mean, and again, I think maybe you can talk to some of the other cases that you're you're seeing in terms of again where, again, uh, a, you know, an earlier Fed cut and easier financial conditions doesn't necessarily mean that our central banks are going to be following suit.
1: I mean, uh, one part of the world which definitely goes in that direction, I would say, it's Africa. I kind of already mentioned it, and I explained why. Um, so, central banks there um, are unlikely, even if we had, if we get uh, easing from the Fed, uh, are unlikely to move in the direction of uh, easing. They will eventually ease. But it's mainly, as you kind of uh, pointed out, right? It's mainly because of domestic inflation developments rather than the global financial conditions. Then there is another part of the world where uh, even though we uh, got some easing in financial conditions and central bank are, in fact, reacting in the dovish direction, uh, they the, those two should not be linked, right? So, And this is the Europe edge uh, part of the world where we had... Uh, uh, Kazakhstan uh, stepping up uh, to 50 basis points from 25 Georgia doing the same uh, and potentially this could get uh, even um, uh, broader in the region in terms of uh, of uh, easing with uh, a country like Ukraine um, having um, kind of uh, this possibility uh, down the line I mean we don't have it in the forecast but that's that's a, that's a risk uh, in the case of Ukraine so uh, but in this space Uh, I would say the main factor are clearly domestic inflation developments. The links with Fed are uh, rather weak. Um, And as long as inflation dynamic remains benign uh, with this inflation continuing, um, these uh, central banks probably have space and they will probably use it. Uh, But uh, kind of... uh, linking it more in the to global financial condition and using those global financial conditions to to turn more aggressive, I would say uh, that's uh, uh, rather uh, unlikely. The part of the world where I think uh, global easing plays uh, a bigger role, it's probably the one where you already mentioned, yeah, it's uh, Latam um, but but even there, right? Uh, central banks uh, have to be selective and also follow domestic conditions.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, so I mean, I think the other the other side of this really is, you know, I think um, it really depends also in what context the this this potential Fed easing that's happening, right? So it, it, implicitly, we're assuming that uh, this Fed easing will happen in sort of this sort of soft land and Goldilocks scenario where global growth doesn't collapse and U.S. recession is is delayed, right? Um, but ultimately, you know, again, for, for say for Latam or Africa, that's that's extremely important, given that they're they're exposed to the US cycle. Uh, but um, and 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 if that recipe holds up, which again is what we've been seeing uh, for broader sort of the end capital flows uh, since about November, that should, in theory, help um, help help these frontiers that are so dependent on next on external funding but again you know ex- investor positioning in many of these local frontiers is quite low on the on the on the local side and then on the external side there many of them are still locked out of markets priced out of markets i mean we we're seeing a rush in um, we're seeing a rush in in external bond issuance in january but none of these frontiers are are figuring right so that Brings us, I think, to the second topic that we've explored more in depth this, this month, which is the IMF. And, and it tells us that IMF funding remains very important for many of these countries. I and mean, I think we have about we have about half of our edge countries that have some type of IMF program and, and with many of which with funding. Uh, so what are some of the programs that we're watching most closely uh, given, given some of these developments in terms of again on the funding side? And um, and their importance to the providing a, a macro backstop to these these countries in this environment.
1: I think one place where uh, the IMF and not just IMF but the uh, multilaterals more broadly uh, have played an important role in uh, supporting the country who go through the adjustment. It's Kenya. Um, many investors were uh, uh, quite negative on the country uh, last year. Uh, But eventually, uh, the support from multilaterals proved to be uh, more stronger than expected and uh, allowed the country to uh, adjust without uh, too much pressure. And to Kenya's credit, uh, policymakers are taking the right steps, right? Like I mentioned, they they hiked uh, the policy rate uh, at the last decision by 200 basis points, despite having uh, one of the uh, most benign inflation Uh, developments in uh, in africa uh, edge space right so uh, that's i would say uh, rather impressive two other places which uh, i would highlight uh, are uh, egypt and pakistan Uh, in in pakistan we had uh, the imf approving the first review uh, recently uh, and they made constructive comments uh, about uh, outlook and policy direction Uh, but here uh, we are heading into uh, elections uh, in February, um, and uh, it's worth watching what's going to happen post-elections. So uh, that's definitely one to uh, to have in mind. The other one is Egypt. It's less positive than Pakistan, uh, in the sense that they are struggling to re-engage with uh, the IMF. We believe uh, there will be... Uh, staff level agreement uh, uh, relatively soon so we we believe they are heading in in the right direction but uh, it's a a rather complicated story because Egypt needs to put forward a package of measures uh, to regain credibility of both domestic uh, investors but also external investors so it's not an easy fit to do for Egypt.
0: So what's interesting I think is also that given you know, given all of this, we aren't actually expecting many countries to engage the IMF this year, aside from the 13 or so that already have programs. This could be a sign that the worst is past for frontiers. I mean, again, many of these countries joined again engage the IMF in during the pandemic or in 2022 after the Russia-Ukraine war. Uh, and again, sort of external pressures seem to have have abated. All things equal. Uh, but at the same time, it also tells us that, you know, given that the number is stable, it tells us that frontiers are probably not safe. Right. So I was curious when we did, again, the rounds of, of in our in our countries that don't have programs, you know, who, who were potential candidates. And we actually only had two. And for neither of them is it is a base case yet that they'll actually do it. It's sort of they've, they either need it. And it's a question of politics, like in Ecuador's case. So again, they they are one where they have very high debt maturities, and um, you know we're flagging risks around a potential debt restructuring in a few years' time. Uh, the new administration is sending positive signals on the on the on fiscal policy specifically. You know, they're talking about uh, exploring non market funding, which again should be which should help uh, in their case at the IMF. But again, we think that it's it's. Again, it's not likely in the short term. In El Salvador's case, which is the other one in, in my part of the world where we thought potentially uh, the president has floated the idea. Uh, but in practice, El Salvador has actually done most of this large fiscal adjustment that the IMF would have wanted without their assistance. Um, and so a program, if it were to come to fruition, would be more about diversifying funding sources. Now, given the rally that we've seen in, in markets and the potential for uh, Salvador to, to tap other funding sources again it's not a it's not a base case um so we'll, we'll we'll be watching that um but I think you know again I think it's 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 um it's interesting that you know potentially I don't know Nico your thoughts as we as we close out but I mean I think it, it potentially you know we need to see this we need to have more conviction that this soft landing story is actually the base case uh, maybe we need to see the Fed actually cutting um for for some of these you know some of these factors such as monetary policy or funding to actually move in the direction of of changing our calls on frontiers Um, or maybe again it's just a function it's just this also a sign of the of the challenges that these these countries face beyond what's happening on the on the on the in the short term on the the external side Uh, i don't know you know if you have any any closing thoughts but that those were those were those are the questions I no, have no, as we I, go into the next couple of months.
1: I guess uh, one one thing to highlight uh, as a closing remark um, and uh, looking at uh, expectations of uh, relatively early uh, Fed easing uh, relative to our own uh, house view um, is that even if we get that, probably central banks, mostly in LATAM, as we discussed earlier, uh, who who could cut, I mean, they would maybe Increase the pace of easing um, early in the game, but not necessarily beyond what we see as the uh, terminal rate or the end 2024 policy rate, right? So we would get there faster, but not necessarily we would get there, uh, we would get at the lower level. And that's because of domestic inflation developments, as we discussed. And then probably another angle worth highlighting is that in case. Uh, we do enter uh, that sort of an environment. So not the U.S. recession, but just Fed easing. And it's indeed uh, good good for uh, the frontier space. Uh, if we get inflows, it's likely that um, uh, central banks will um, uh, accommodate these inflows uh, by uh, buying uh, FX rather than uh, uh, cutting uh, rates, right? I mean, mm-hmm. that that's what I would think it's uh, worth uh, highlighting as well.
0: Well, thank you, Nikolai, and I look forward to another conversation next month on the on the EM Edge space. Thank you to our listeners for joining us for another episode of the Global Data Pod. We hope to have you back again. This communication is provided for information purposes only. Please refer to J.P. Morgan's research reports related to this content for more information, including important disclosures. 2024 J.P. Morgan Chase Company, all rights reserved. This episode was recorded on January 24, 2024.